What's up and welcome to CEO Skills Radio. I'm your host, Nina, a New York-based lawyer and former lobbyist, aka a networking and negotiating pro. A few years ago, I left my high-powered lobbying firm to travel the world and start my own company. And along the way, I met a lot of fellow entrepreneurs who had no access to legal protections and no information about the traditional skills you need to create a scalable and sustainable business. So join me each week as we talk about these CEO skills, focusing on five different departments that you need to build a solid business foundation for your coaching or consulting company such as your marketing, your sales department, your admin, your legal financial, your systems, your operations, and last but not least, your team and community leadership. I know it sounds overwhelming, but don't worry, I will help you stay organized, I promise. So let's dive in to talk about one of these topics in depth. Hey, and welcome back to CEO Skills Radio. Today is another episode all about the horror stories that you can get yourself into when you're working online or just working with anybody. Whether it's online, whether it's a coaching business, consulting agency, a law firm, whatever it is. You could be a yoga teacher. You could be a Reiki practitioner. It doesn't matter what you do. You are going to encounter some types of of situations that we talk about in this series. So this is, I believe, the third official episode in this series. Maybe it's the fourth, um, but I encourage you to go back and check and look at the other ones while they're still like timely and relevant. I mean, the content in there is always going to be timely and relevant, but you're not going to want to be listening to me talking about like, ghosts and goblins and energy vampires in the middle of March. So go ahead, listen to it, you know, during spooky season bingeable, I promise. And make sure you're grabbing a pen and notebook to take notes in a lot of my episodes because I do try to not add any fluff. Um, I try to make it as factual and as educational and valuable as possible. Um, I love the type of podcast that I can listen to where I feel like I walk away with actual tangible steps to make better decisions and make better content and make better products and offer better services. Um, And I I feel like if I do that once a week, if I listen to a really motivational podcast for my business once a week, once a month even, it can totally transform my growth and it can totally just like change the trajectory of things. Um, And that's happened to me quite a few times. So hopefully this is one of those podcasts for you. And without any further ado, let's get to it. So Today's episode is going to be all about Frankenstein contracts. For those of you who don't know, a Frankenstein contract is defined as a quote-unquote contract pieced together haphazardly with sections pulled from Google, thin air, and other people's contracts. And the important thing to know is that the reason why this is a monster is because not only will it not protect you in most situations, but it can actually harm you when it comes time to enforce it. Why? Because if you're new here, I will say this again, whatever you sign becomes law. I didn't know. I didn't mean for that part. Oh, everything else but that. Oh, that one thing. Nope, not that thing. Everything else, not an excuse. Whatever you sign becomes law. So if you have this contract and in the contract, 
it has this whole section about how people can get refunds. You can't just turn around and say, oh, nope, I didn't mean that to be in there, no refunds. If in the contract you have this whole section about um, disclaimers or, you know, anything else, like, you can't just say, oh, no, didn't mean that, right? And similarly, it's not what's in your contract that's usually the problem. It's what's not in there that comes back to bite you right in the butt. So that's the issue when people try to just say, oh, well, I know, I'm just going to make my own contract. It's not what's in the contract because usually the things that you are putting in there, number one, like, yeah, they might be good ideas, but there's a certain way that you need to write them so that it's not vague and that exactly what you mean is what it says. Um, So that's number one. And number two is that like you need to put all of the situations, like all of the what ifs, all of the, okay, if this, then that, if this, then that, if not this, then that, if not this, then not that, if this, then not that, all of those like logical equations that follow need to be in the contract or be reasonably interpreted from there. And like, if you're not confident on how to write like that, then it's not a good idea for you to write your own contracts because legal writing is technical writing. I grew up as a writer. I was always a creative writer. I always did really good on my essays in in school, college. Like I was a philosophy major. Like I had like a 4.0 GPA. Like I, you know, all, all this shit, right? I was like, oh, I know how to write. I know how to write. I know how to write. No, I get to law school and my very first semester of law school in my legal writing class, I handed my first like persuasive memo because you also have to know like why you're writing are you writing to persuade someone are you writing objectively to be clear and matter of fact are you writing um like what's what's the purpose of your writing right to summarize something what's the purpose and a contract is not persuasive writing okay you're not trying to persuade anyone when you're writing a contract you're supposed to be clear and no emotions um and I handed in, like, I remember my first persuasive motion or something. And I can't even tell you, my, my teacher used one of those pens that had, like, all four of the colors on the pens because there was that many notes and cr- whole fucking pages crossed out. And then she had a highlighter where she would, like, highlight something right on a star. You'd have to flip over the page. And on the back of the page, she would continue her critiques of my fucking thing. And, like, I sobbed. And she had to say, like, she was so matter of fact. She was awesome. She was one of my favorite mentors ever. Like, it was not personal. She was just like, you're a 22-year-old undergrad. Like, meanwhile, I was 22 years old in my first year of law school. But she would always call us, like, inexperienced workers because we just went from college to law school. You know, she kind of not looked down on us. But she's like, well, you just don't know as much as the people who have had whole careers or whatever before. But anyway, she would say, like you 22 year old undergrads, like you're going to understand blah, blah, blah. Or she would always say like, this is technical writing. You got to write in plain English, like clear, concise information, dense sentences, clear, concise information, rich sentences. Or she would always give us like formulas like IRAC or CRAC. And if you don't know what those are, then, you know, you're just not trained technically. And that's not to do with contracts those are all about persuasive writing which lawyers have to do a lot of as well but in any event my point is 
It took me an entire year. That was one of the only law classes in law school that wasn't just one semester. It was one year long. And it took me a year to finally understand how she expected me to write as, a, as an attorney, not as like a college undergrad who's writing like a paper for her philosophy final, right? Um, and yeah, it was intense. And then it took me like years of working in firms and, con and like working and reading contracts to understand why things are the way they are. Um, sitting at the table negotiating, sitting at the table with CEOs, hearing their confidential reasoning as to why things have to be a certain way, and then trying to reflect those things onto paper in multiple drafts. I got to my one of my first internships was with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. And I was in um, one of the units where we were negotiating a deal between the New York um, State Department of Environmental NYSDEC, so the State Department of Environmental Conservation, and the NYCDEP, which is the New York City Department of Environmental Protection, because, you know, bureaucracy, you have too many cooks in the kitchen. So we had the city and the state having to, like, fight over, like, stormwater pipes, because, by the way, when it rains, all of your shit and piss, like, that was so vulgar of me, but it's just disgusting to me. All of your fucking unwashed, like, untreated sewage just, like, boop, pours out into the ocean, into our rivers. In case you didn't know, New York is very antiquated with our sewage system. We have a combined sewer overflow system, so we were, like, negotiating some kind of deal um, as to, like, how we would fix this thing or, like, when it would happen. But anyway, we were, we were negotiating some deal between the city and the, the state, and I worked for the state. And when I got hired in January, or when I started in January of 2014, I was told, we're almost done with this contract, it's on the last draft, meaning like they finally reached the negotiation, which took God knows how fucking long. And then um, after that, you know, we just have to make some of the edits, and you'll be doing the edits, Nina, and you will, you know be in communication with the city people. Great. Um, when I tell you that the entire six months of my internship there, we were still going back and forth, writing that contract about, oh, this should be a semicolon. Oh no, you shouldn't write it like this. It has a different meaning than if you write it, um, not this or that. You should write it this and not that. So, literally arguing over semantics, literally arguing over diction, literally every single fucking period, sentence structure, the use of something saying no or not, like the negative or the positive version of how you're writing the sentence, like whether you can use bullet points. I, I can't even tell you how long I spent working on this contract and it was because not because like I'm a shitty writer, but because we would make a correction, the other lawyers would look at it, they would do an analysis on, well, what's the consequence of this five years from now, 10 years from now? Well, what if this happens? This needs to be in there. And they would come back and they would say, we need to change the, sec the sentence because whatever you sign becomes law. And you have to be very clear about the intent of everything that you're doing and what you're putting in the contract, because if that's applying to you for, even if it's just one month or one year or however long it is, you know, one day 
you're going to have tens of thousands of dollars on the line. It's not just going to be a $1,000 thing or a $500 thing. And so you need to start acting like you are as big as you want to be because you can't start trying to learn. There's not going to be a course on how to negotiate a fucking your dream $100,000 deal when you're at the point in your business when you're able to make a $100,000 deal. Like you need to get to that point. There's no substitute for experience. There's no substitute for putting in the work to learn how to make better business decisions, to learn how to assess risks and things like that, right? So you need to start to think this way. And that's why I encourage you to either work with a lawyer. Obviously, that's like the number one thing that you should do, but it's not accessible for everybody to do that. So if you can't do that, you know, and maybe one day, like, the deal will be that important to you where you'll see inherently like the value of investing in a lawyer but that's not accessible to everybody so what I suggest is that you at least get like lawyer prepared resources watch content created by lawyers to learn how to negotiate to learn why things might be or not be inside contracts get contract templates from lawyers right I have some and I have a sale which you will hear about later but do what you can to hear it straight from the horse's mouth rather than being like oh well I know it all or I'm capable because you know pride comes before the fall let's just say and I've definitely created my own Frankenstein contracts when I was starting out um not in this business but like as a lawyer or in law school or something and let me tell you even me, like if I'm creating a new contract for something that I've never seen a draft of, I've never had a mentor talk to me about, I've never had experience with him before, when I'm putting together a contract from scratch, it's even scary for me sometimes because I'm like, is there something I'm not thinking of? Is there a better way to write this? Is this the right way to write this? Because it's so technical. So I just wanted to open up this conversation with 14 minutes and 34 seconds of me really driving home the point about how important it is to not Frankenstein the shit out of your contracts just for your own safety. I didn't even get to the point about how, um, you know, if you're copying other people's contracts, like you're taking their intellectual property. Um, if you're stealing someone's contract from your coach or whatever, your coach or whoever paid for that contract that's their intellectual property, right? And it's the attorney's work product. There's something in legal ethics called attorney work product. That means that attorneys own their content. So even sometimes if a another attorney wants to see something or a client wants to see something and you're not working with that client anymore, I sometimes have the right to say, no, it's attorney work product. I don't have to hand it over to you right? Like I don't have to hand over all of my notes to the next person because it's my intellectual property and that new lawyer should put in the work themselves, right? So attorney work product is really another word for like attorney intellectual property. And you bet your ass that if someone's stealing my intellectual property, I'm going to enforce that just like you wouldn't want someone to steal your course, which is why you're probably making this contract. People don't want you stealing their contracts, right? So that's a whole nother thing. And I I just wouldn't want to fuck with a lawyer when it comes to that. But I wouldn't want to fuck with anyone when it comes to that, right? You know, that stuff comes around. Um, 
So there's also that big component as well. So not only should you not write things from scratch, but your coach shouldn't be handing out contracts unless they're authorized to, um, and you shouldn't be taking them. I don't think anyone here would be, um, because I feel like everyone who listens to this podcast is growth-oriented and ethics-oriented, so I'm not, like, saying you, you, you when I say you. I'm just saying, like, you, it's probably the wrong word to use, but when I say you, I mean, like, some of the jerks out there on the internet, right? But anyway, that's Frankenstein contract. So let's talk about what could happen, um, like, if you use a Frankenstein contract, here's some horror stories. So number one, you could be caught in a never-ending contract to do all their dirty work. I call this the spooky scope of work. Without a proper scope of work, you could be putting yourself on the hook to do more than what you bargained for. So what does this mean? The scope of work is like the section that most people do feel confident to talk about. Like, I'm going to give you this many drafts, or I'm going to have four Zoom calls with you, or I'm going to do your copy for your welcome sequence, right? So here's some tips. Make sure that things are not too general. Instead of saying quote-unquote business mentorship services or quote-unquote marketing services, explain what the fuck that means. Business mentorship services. So does that mean that if I decide to go and have a meeting with an investor and, um, you know, I'm going to go into this crazy transaction with an investor that involves promissory notes and collateral, putting my house up as collateral and all these other fancy words that you're going to be there to mentor me through that? What does mentor mean? mean? Are you going to show up to the calls with me? Are you going to get on a plane and fly to New York and put on a suit and come with me to the meeting? Like, what does it mean? Are you going to negotiate for me? Or are you just going to get on a Zoom call with me and tell me if I should do that or not? Right? What are you going to do? Marketing services. Are you my social media manager? Or are you just helping me create, like, an outline for my launch strategy? Are you going to actually create graphics on canva for me are you going to film reels and like be in the reels for me like what are you doing right so be not super 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 specific but not general right also be clear about how many drafts revisions there are and be just as clear about what's not included so maybe saying something like this feed is not cover the cost of additional edits meetings calls which will be billed separately at an hourly rate of x that saved me um I've talked about this a lot recently, but there was like a troll client. She like literally looks like a troll. Um, but anyway, um, she wanted me to do all these edits to this thing. And I sent her a screenshot of the contract she signed and the sales page that said like this rate does not include any edits or revisions. And she didn't like that. And I was like, well, that's when she signed. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, and then she was fighting with me about like, well, everything we talked about on the call has to be included in the contract. And if it's not, then you have, you know, we reserve the right to have you edit it without additional costs. And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, do you think I'm, uh, what do you think? I'm like an imbecile? Like, of course, if we talked about it, I'm going to put it in the contract. Like, what do you think my job is? You think I half-ass things? Like, no, I took notes. I'm going to put it in the contract, right? If you want other things, then you're going to have to pay for me to make those revisions. There's no revisions included in here. If it's like a little period or sentence structure or I got your address wrong, of course. But if you're trying to change the whole nature of the deal, that's not included, right? So that has saved me several times. 
not really saved me because that was the only situation where I was just like, you know what? Fuck you. Here's a refund. I don't even care. Um, cause you were just like, she was just a troll. But, um, in other situations it's helped me pinpoint like, Hey, just so you know, cause I've had other people try to make revisions to contracts like a month after I gave it to them. Like they're looking through it. Finally, they're finally getting around to it and they're like, Oh, we actually decided this. And I'm like, okay, but that's a separate, it's like a totally separate relationship it's a totally separate deal totally separate contract like that's not included in this original rate and you know what happens they either don't hear back from them which is okay because our relationship is closed my obligations are complete I don't owe you anything anymore or they say okay how much how much would it cost okay my hourly rate's $350 great send me an invoice when you're done perfect and it's never given me an issue right And if it does give me an issue and the person and I cannot get along and see eye to eye, then I just send them their money back and I send them on their way because they're not all money is good money, right? So making sure that you have that in your scope of work is really important. And that's something that people tend to overlook in their first version of their Frankenstein contract. Number two, you could be slapped with a lawsuit or worse, sanctions from some government agency. Why? I call this one slimy disclaimers. A lot of us do things online in a gray area. Before there were life coaches, there were therapists, before there was business coaches, there was lawyers and consultants, before there was health coaches, there was doctors, and most of these businesses are regulated by the state. So what does this mean? Does it mean you're not allowed to be a life coach? Does it mean you're not allowed to be a health coach? No, but it means you need to be really, 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 really clear about the nature of your relationship and how it's different from a doctor or a registered dietitian or a therapist or a lawyer because if you are not you are not only maybe on the hook for misleading this person but you are also and more importantly and more significantly at risk of then having them tell whatever regulate regulatory body there is and then getting you know sanctions or a fine or a violation or something from the state and that's a lot worse in my opinion than like getting sued from a person because if if like okay so for example in New York if you are in hypnosis or NLP listen up and I I have like a whole podcast episode on this like one of my first first ones from this podcast is you know I mean like I my word salad um one of my first episodes in this podcast is all about like NLP and hypnosis people disclaimers, I think. But, um, and I'll try to figure out what one that is in a second. But I've talked about this before. If you're in New York and like 25 other states, you are not allowed to call yourself a hypnotherapist. You are not allowed to say that you provide hypnotherapy. Why? Because therapists are a profession that is regulated by the, um, board of education like the department of education professional board or something i forget like the exact names of the boards but it's regulated by the state the same people who regulate me for being a lawyer they regulate therapists right so you have to apply you have to like pay to get your license well first of all you have to go through all the proper schooling and tests and whatever then you need to apply and go through a background check and shit to get your license and pay money and then you have to maintain that license so every two years I have to take like 36 hours or something of 
credits and I have to like pay a fuck ton of money every year for these classes and like fill out this paperwork. I have to like basically like reapply every year and then um yeah, I have to just do that until I die. So, you know, therapists kind of have to do something similar, I would imagine. Accountants have to do something similar everybody who's licensed by the state, right? All these traditional professions. That's why you see a lot of therapists trying to become life coaches so they don't have to do all that anymore. A lot of lawyers doing things like selling contract templates because it doesn't involve necessarily all of the legal analysis, right? You have a lot of registered dietitians becoming health coaches because they're like, it's too much with all these regulations. But it's only a matter of time before these regulatory agencies catch up and wake up to what the fuck people are doing and how much money that they're making online so every time someone's bragging about how they're a life coach or this or that and they made all this money i'm just like waiting for the day that this culmination of data is going to be presented to the state lawmakers from the lobbyists for doctors and lawyers and therapists and saying these people are making so much money and the state is not regulating them and they're harming people and they're not using disclaimers and they're not using right contracts and it's bad for the consumer and people are dying and blah 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 and then boom we're all going to be regulated we're going to have to turn over a lot of our money to wherever we're from no more online international business like you're in new york you can only help people in new york you're in california you can only help people in california and here's here's going back to the whole therapist thing if you're in new york you're not allowed to say that you are a hypnotherapist if you are not a licensed therapist with a special qualification in in hypnotherapy so the only people who are allowed to market themselves as hypnotherapists in new york are people who are licensed therapists with a special extra qualification certificate thing from the state that says that they can practice hypnotherapy so the way you get around that is in your disclaimers you say things like this is non-therapeutic hypnotism this is self-hypnosis you include like definitions about what it is. So here's some of my tips. Be clear about what you do promise via de definitions. So like this is not um, self-hypnosis and you define it. Or this is life coaching, which is personal development tailored to help you reach your goals. And what you do not promise in the disclaimer section. So saying like this is not therapy. This is not a, this is not um, a substitute for therapy nor is it a diagnosis or treatment for mental health issues, although it could supplement your therapy, right? You need a doctor's note, blah, 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 blah. I was able to just spitball that in like two seconds based on my three years of experience working with life coaches, but how long would it take for you to Frankenstein that shit up in a way that's actually like going to hold up in court, right? So not only are we probably going to be regulated within the next five years from different government agencies at least in the u.s but even if we are not we still need to tiptoe around the regulations that do exist because a lot of us do things that are in a gray area and if we don't have things that are very clear in our marketing and in our disclaimers and our contracts we could be on the hook and you're talking about fines that like when again like i only really have based off to go off of um my experience working at like, for example, the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, this is environmental stuff, but when we would give fines out to people, like notices of violations, it'd be like, it's $47,500 a day. Like obviously yours is not gonna be that much. Environmental stuff is like a lot higher. But could you imagine getting like a $47,500 fine and that's only for one day? Like, what? 
<laughs> that would destroy a lot of our businesses, right? So don't do that. Okay. Number three, you could be forced to hand over your hard-earned cash up to six years later and spend a lot more money than that cost of the contract fighting it. What do I mean? I call this one moody money matters. So don't spend your money too soon. Did you know that someone can sue you for breach of contract or fraud years later? In New York, the statute of limitations for breach of contract or fraud is six years. So that means that you can get sued from someone in 2027 for the shit you do this year. Like, could you imagine in 2027, your $15,000 mastermind client, like suing you for not only the $15,000, but all of the money in mistakes that she's made in her life since that point, which probably she's going to say is like $1.7 million or something ridiculous. Like, if I didn't do this, then I wouldn't have done this. And then this and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying they'd win. But would you want to fight that? Like, it's going to cost you more than the $450 that my template costs to fight that in 2027. So here's some tips. Payment sections are important, but refunds and breach of contract cases really come down to things like scope of work, termination clauses, disclaimer sections, refund policies, um, you know, indemnification clauses, um, and amongst others, right? So all those little clauses that you probably skim over and say, eh, this is just sounds like legal, so I'm going to leave it. Mm, that's the stuff that really, when push comes to shove, a lot of cases are won on procedural things and not merit. So what does that mean? If you're ever in a lawsuit or a dispute with someone, there's actually two whole like pillars of law that go into every court case. So this is why a lot of people like lose court cases or win court cases even though they sound like assholes and this is why I don't like headlines about legal stuff because it's very difficult to understand like even when you read the court case um, why the court case was decided the way it was because a lot of times it's procedural so you have a whole body of procedural laws which is how you can sue someone how you have to respond did I file this motion on time? Some judges even have rules about like the font size and like how many pages can it be printed on paper or does it have to be electronic? Can it be double-sided? Like does it have to be double-spaced? Like all of those judges rules matter too. And then there's things that are called substantive law which is like is that you know assault? Is that a breach of contract right? So you could win on the merit or you could win procedurally. And similarly, you could lose on merit, meaning I'm right, you're wrong, or you could lose procedurally, which is a technicality, right? A lot of people, a lot of cases are decided on technicalities, on the procedural shit. So those sections that you skim over or don't think you need when you're Frankensteining your shit up could make or break your case later on, okay? So also, Another tip, be sure to include things like late fees for bargaining, leverage later, administrative fees, cost of like chasing people down um, or handling matters, and then also legal fees in case it escalates so that you can recover this money later on if needed. Because sometimes also if it does come to a court case or any kind of dispute resolution, 
like you both get lawyers involved, you can recover a lot of the money and the costs of you handling the matter if you put it in the contract. So that's my little secret hack for that. Okay, number four, you could come face to face with Two-Face who goes behind your back to get a refund from their bank saying your company's charge was fraud. I call this freaky fraud, secure the bag. Seriously, there's too many clowns out there claiming fraud for their credit card companies making you hand back that cash, but your contract can protect you. So making sure that you have, you know, if you're using Stripe, making sure that the name that appears on people's credit card statements is recognizable to the consumers so that they're not saying, oh, I don't recognize this charge. Um, That's one way to prevent honest, you know, chargebacks. People, I've done that before. One time, hello sign, like, I forgot I I forgot I signed up for the free trial like what day I signed up for it so then when the charge came like a month later my bank flagged it as fraud or like do you recognize this charge and I was like well what does it say and they're like all it says is hello and I was like no I don't know what what the fuck hello $180 fraud scam get it away no it was hello sign and it took me like two and a half months to figure that out when they blocked my account and I couldn't get in to see any of my contracts I was like what the fuck I was like sorry hello sign so making sure that, you know, I, I, I accidentally reported it as fraud, even though it wasn't because I didn't recognize the name on, you know, the charge. So making sure that you have all that shit set up. But then also, there's people out there like me who, not like me, because I don't do this, but there's people out there like me who claim chargebacks, right? But they do it knowing that they paid for that thing. Now imagine it wasn't a subscription service to something like HelloSign. Imagine it was like a one-time workshop or a contract template that they could download. And then they're like, oh, fraud. You would have to prove to Stripe that they signed the contract, that like what your refund policy is, all these other things. And so you need a contract that's not Frankenstein the fuck up to win that case. Because guess what? If you lose that, not only do you lose the money, you lose your product, but you also get charged $15 from Stripe. That's like the salt on the wound that really pissed me off, right? So don't do that. Here's some tips. Your payment section must authorize you to charge their credit card multiple times for payment plans. That's a big one. And your contract must include a clear refund policy and rationale for no refunds. So I say things like, you know, due to the immediate nature of delivery or the downloadable nature of the goods. Again, these are things that I'm just spitballing in two seconds, but how long would it take you for you to word that? Because this used to not be in my contract templates. I used to have a whole section for if there are refunds, but I didn't have anything written out for like no refunds. And I can't even tell you how many questions I would get emailed from people like, how do I say that there's no refunds? And I'm like, see, this is why you don't Frankenstein your contracts. I'm proud of you people. I'm proud of you for asking me. So I added language for how to say no refunds because it's not easy. It's not as easy as saying no refunds. You have to know exactly the the right way to word it so that it will uphold in court or uphold to Stripe or bank, whatever. Okay, last but not least, you could be caught in a mansion built on no man's land. Ghoulish governing law. That's the name of this little section. Without a governing law or a choice of law section, you could face an uphill battle to nowhere when it comes time to enforce your contract. What does this mean? Um, Well, here's some tips. Most of us are involved in online international business or at least business across several several states. So you need to um, designate what laws apply. So if I'm in New York and you're in Dubai, what laws apply if there's an issue? 
right? You have to say. So my tip is to pick laws that will apply if there's any issues, you know, the, the location most convenient to you, aka the jurisdiction. So for me, that's New York, because if I had to handle any kind of legal situation, I know the court system in New York, right? I know like the laws in New York. Obviously, I know lawyers in New York. I'm from New York. My address is here. My principal place of business is here. I have minimum contacts here. And if all of these words are foreign to you, then you should not be writing your own contracts, okay? Um, these are all like procedural things. Like you have to have what's called minimum contacts in a certain place to sue them there. So I can't just decide to sue someone in Virginia unless I have what's called minimum contacts there, okay? Because there's forum shopping. So people try to pick the states to sue people where they think the laws are most favorable for them to win, but that's illegal. So you really have to, you know, even these sections that people just gloss over are really important and they have significant legal impact to make or break your case. And I would hate to see you lose on a technicality. Um, and I would hate to see you ever get in a situation where you need to enforce your contract. But if you did, I would hope that you would have one of mine, um, or at least one from another lawyer that would actually up uphold. Um, just be careful out there too, because there's a lot of lawyers who are coming out online, but who don't come from a background in contracts. Um, so just make sure that they also have experience in contracts and that they're not just getting someone's templates and reselling them. Um, that's why my templates all come with sample language to help you figure out how to write you know, fill in the blanks yourself. And they also come with educational videos where I walk you through exactly what the contract means. This way you can understand it. And not only will you understand what my contract means, but if you're ever faced with a contract that you need to sign, maybe you'll learn something that will give you some background as to how that, you know, paragraph or whatever would impact you in someone else's situation, right? So it helps you become a better business owner, make better business decisions, you could become more business savvy. And that's the goal, right? So if you got this far, um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an open minded, growth oriented, business savvy person. And um, just a reminder that I'm having my 1111 sale. It's my third anniversary of my contract template shop, in particular, my signature contract bundle where I have it's called the scale your business bundle where I have every single contract in my shop thrown in there um, with every workbook niche specific so if not only is there a one-on-one -on -one client contract but there's a version for business coaches a version for life coaches a version with specific disclaimers for health coaches and fitness coaches right one for agency owners one for VAs so there's all different niche categories in there um, across 10 templates so you have a client contract for one-on-one -on -one situations for group programs and masterminds one that's like a checkbox situation for your passive products um, you have a collaboration contract in there for when you do your your guest workshops you have a podcast agreement in there that allows you to publish someone's voice and edit what they're saying so that you never get sued for defamation um, you have um, a affiliate agreement, a joint venture agreement in there so you can partner with your friend and co-create a product and split profits and know how to treat your taxes and stuff. That will be very helpful for your accountant later on. Um, you have an NDA confidentiality agreement and so many more things coming like a retreat agreement, a, ma a membership agreement, a bunch of good things. So that's in the scale your business bundle. If you bought every single contract from a lawyer, it would be at least a thousand dollars each right if you bought all those contracts individually in my shop they'd be anywhere from 350 to 450 each 
bringing the total for that package to $3,500. Normally that bundle is $1,350. It's on sale celebrating my anniversary, the 1111 sale for $777. So use the code 1111 to get every contract in my shop for $777, all the videos. Plus as a bonus, you get my contracts crash course, giving you more negotiation tips and information about what contracts to use when. Um, and then you also get my legal workshop about it's called act like a ceo so it will have information about like llc's and your business bank accounts and a little bit about trademarks um and so much more everything that i create i add in there any kind of legal resource i create i add into that bundle so you get access if you get you know get it now if next year i decide to add a you know event agreement for in-person events right which i'm adding you get access to that. So that's on sale now through November 11th for 777. If you're like, no, I only need a couple of contracts or I just need one, then you can use the code NINA for 50% off of any individual contract. All this information is going to be in the description, um, in the show notes. So thank you for being here. It's been a really wild last three years of this sale. Um, this day is very special to me. So this is the lowest price that I offer the contracts for. Um, because it is such a special day for me. I consider it like my business birthday, even though I was in business for like a year before this, um, or even if maybe more than a year, but I was kind of like still finding my f feeding, my footing, and I didn't have my signature bundle idea. So thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or suggestions for what episodes to create next, I'm happy to hear your feedback. You can leave a review on iTunes um, or you can just email me. My contact info is in the show notes as well. So I'll see you in the next one and be safe out there.